Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you might have noticed from all the red that today is Pentecost. Some of you are wearing red. You thought ahead of time. Our lesson from Acts 2 gives us a vivid picture of that first Pentecost following the resurrection and ascension of our Lord. Uh, just prior to his ascension, Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 24 records this. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now you'll recall that the ascension was 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection. We know Pentecost as the day when the Holy Spirit came and rested upon the disciples when the whole of Jerusalem bore witness to this outpouring of the Spirit, when the disciples had tongues of fire. I saw the kids. Actually, I see one right there. Tucker's got the little uh, streamer. The, 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 uh, is that for Pentecost? Yeah. A vivid uh, picture of uh, the, the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the Holy Spirit came and rested with, with tongues of fire, and they were able to speak languages that they had never been taught. It wasn't gobbledygook. They were not speaking some unknown language. They were speaking a language that people understood, and that's the proper gift of tongues. And that's what they were speaking, and there were those present who were marveled at it. How can we, aren't these all Galileans? How can we be hearing the language, uh, hearing them preach in, in our own languages, people that were there from all over? Uh, but uh, So that's what we think of when we think of Pentecost. But Pentecost was a feast uh, ce- celebration that uh, has its roots in the Old Testament, going back to, to Moses. Um, it was called the Feast of Weeks. It was a week of weeks. That is 50 days. Um, if you're like me and you're going to say, well, 7 times 7 is 49, not 50 just relax. There's, it has to do with the way you account time and, and remember that in the Jewish way of thinking, the beginning of the day is, is nightfall and the end of the day is nightfall the following day. So sometimes we get kind of hung up on the numbers. But it's a week of weeks. It's 50 days after, um, after the resurrection. But in this case, it was 50 days after the, uh, the Sabbath and, and the, uh, the Sabbath that, that follows Passover. And you can... Read about that in Leviticus 23. Um, God said, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day, from that, from the day that you brought the sheet of the wave offering. That's, the, uh, that's 50 days, seven full weeks after that. And then uh, he says, and this is not from Leviticus, but from Numbers, but uh, he says, on that day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord, at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So the, the reason that that is, is important to remember this uh, history within the people of Israel is because the text tells us that there were, there were Jews, devout Jews, from all over the world that were in Jerusalem on this day. Well, yeah, that's because it is the feast of weeks. So they were there to observe, faithfully, to observe the Feast of Weeks. So it's no surprise that we would find them there. The text says, Dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
There were Jews from all parts of the known world, and they were all there in Jerusalem faithfully keeping and observing this feast that had been commanded 1,500 years earlier under Moses. Meanwhile, the disciples were in a house, perhaps the upper room. We've had that debate circling in our uh, household this week as we've considered Pentecost. Were they in the upper room or were they in a temple court? Well, people will disagree about where they were, but that's kind of beside the point. The point is they were in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came in and filled the entire house And the sound of it was audible to all of the people in Jerusalem. So they all came out. And before you know it, this thing that started in there, perhaps the upper room, was in public with all of the disciples preaching. And that's what they were doing. They were proclaiming the mighty works of God. They were preaching to the people in languages that they had not been taught because they're Galileans. But they were preaching to people and the people were hearing the gospel in their own language. You know, what's, uh, uh, what's fascinating to me as you come to this, uh, to this question that the people ask, what does this mean? See, they hear what's going on and they say, what does this mean? What's the meaning of all this? All these people speaking, you know, this, this mighty rushing of wind that roused us all. And then we come out into the public and we see these men, Galileans, speaking in a foreign language, speaking in all these different foreign languages. What does this mean? That's a question they ask. What does this mean? Peter will go on to explain that this means that God keeps his promises. That's one thing that it means. It means that that God works to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, to people of all nations means that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. It means that there's hope for you and for me. That's what it means. Peter said, hey, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. You see, that, that, there was the, uh, the unbelieving crowd said, oh, these people are all drunk. Well, as a side note, I don't know how drunkenness enables you to speak a language, a foreign language you've never been taught. There's probably some students learning a foreign language that wish it was that simple, but it is not. So drunkenness wouldn't answer it anyway. But Peter said, they're not drunk. And then he went on to explain that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he referenced Joel too, the prophet Joel can find this in the second chapter. But that's what he's quoting from when Peter says to them, they're not drunk as you suppose. They're fulfilling what Joel said 800 years ago. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And perhaps most importantly, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As you read on through Acts 2 and go beyond verse 21, which is where our lesson from today ended, you see that Peter preached this great sermon on the day of Pentecost and that uh, he told them, yeah, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's the Christ. And they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart And that day there were 3,000 baptized and added to the Christian faith. That was a uh, 
that was the day of Pentecost. And we do marvel at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We see, when we see the mighty hand of God working in this way, in which he gives these gifts of tongues to people, and they're able to speak, and flaming, I mean, a flame on their tongue, and they're speaking a, a language they've never been taught, mighty rushing wind. We see that outpouring, and sometimes we think that's Pentecost, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's not it. That's not all of it. There's something more going on here, and that's what I really want want to see. That's what I want everyone to see. What else is going on here? I mean, sometimes we might even long for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in this way for us and for our neighbor's sake. You know, in other words, in this miraculous, powerful way in which we see and hear and witness with our senses. We witness this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I mean, some of you may have even prayed, God, make yourself known to this crooked generation. I mean, you look around, we have sinners who forsake marriage. They give themselves to debauchery, fornication, homosexuality, violence, oppression. And we say, God, end our strife, our greed. Make yourself known so that our society can live and function according to your will. We say these things to ourselves and we act as though God must manifest himself in a mighty power and works in order for this to be accomplished. I mean, in a sense, it's not wrong that we would have those desires But at the same time, we must understand sometimes the manner in which God the Holy Spirit works. That's the problem. If we're looking for God the Holy Spirit to work always in this way, you know, then we become like the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. And we're like, you know, oh, have you have you received the second baptism, like the real baptism, the baptism of faith where you speak in tongues or whatever? We're barking up the wrong tree, but we're doing it because we have we bought into this lie, this false sense of what the work of the Holy Spirit is. We're looking for this, this, that type of supernatural, powerful working of the Spirit, which we, uh, which we detect by our senses. We hear or see or even feel, right? Okay, first, I want you to notice the work of God, the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost. yes. He did give, give gifts of tongues. And he did fill the house in a rushing wind that all the inhabitants of Jerusalem saw and bore witness to. Yes, he did do that. So is that the miracle of Pentecost? No. The miracle of Pentecost is that by the preaching of the gospel, wretched sinners were brought to faith. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Believe me. That work is a lot more impressive than rushing wind and tongues of fire and foreign language speaking. Taking a wretched sinner and turning them around and bringing them to faith, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is the true work of the Holy Spirit. The miracle is that by the preaching of Jesus, Preaching Jesus, the one who was crucified. Remember the stumbling block? 
This, this is the stumbling block because it's foolishness to the world. Oh, you're saying that Jesus died for my sins and that his death on the cross was atonement for all of my sins? That just sounds crazy. How could that be? Yeah, that's what the world says. But the Holy Spirit says, no, this is true. The Holy Spirit bears witness to that. The Holy Spirit makes us see that this is true. Yes, yes, I am a sinner. And yes, Jesus has died for my sins. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. By the preaching of the gospel, by the preaching of that gospel, which is the gospel, they were saved. And that is the the primary work of the Holy Spirit. This is of the utmost, absolutely utmost importance. And why? Well, because we're sinful. We're creatures of feeling. We live in a world which prioritizes feelings. We are surrounded, especially in in this area, by enthusiasts, charismatics, what the Lutherans called schwärmer. It's a German word. We're surrounded by people who judge their faith by what? What's the litmus test they use to judge their faith? Their feelings. So we must be reminded of the actual work of God, the Holy Spirit. I want to read from Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession. That we may obtain this faith, the faith that saves, The ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted for through the word and sacraments as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given who works faith where and when it pleases God in them that hear the gospel. To wit, that God, not for our own merits, but for Christ's sake, justifies those who believe that they are received into grace, grace, For Christ's sake, they condemn the Anabaptists and others who think that the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit comes to men without the external word through their own preparations and works. And there were people that taught that. That's not that's not the same as our brothers and sisters in the Baptist church today. That's not Anabaptists there. There's. Some relation, but it's not the same thing. But there are people all around. They're not just Baptists, you know, or or, uh, there are Lutherans. I mean, it's not, it's a human condition, so it's not unique to any denomination. There are people who look for assurance of their salvation in the way they feel about something. It it has to do with a a feeling. That's that's what testifies to to their condition. But there's a problem. Your feelings can lie to you. We're corrupted by sin, and we quite convincingly deceive ourselves when we want to, do we not? Jesus said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's Matthew 15. So when the world says, trust your heart, Mm -mm. (laughs) you better think twice, buddy. Trust your heart. Just trust your heart. No, that is a lie from the devil. Are your feelings telling you that this sinful behavior that you just would like to commit is justified? 
Your feelings are lying to you if they're telling you that. Your feelings are wrong. They're lying. Are your feelings the judge of what is right and proper? Worship, for example. Uh, I knew of someone that we, I talked to, a young person who, who uh, was looking for a church. And they said, well, I, just, I look for a church where I feel the Spirit. <laughs> okay. Oh, I love the song. I can feel the Spirit moving in this song. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's God the Holy Spirit. It might be. Maybe it's the devil. I don't know because feelings aren't a good judge of these things. So I don't know. I can't go off of, oh, I just feel the Spirit moving. Not, not necessarily. You might, you know, there are, uh, you can find stories of people who have, who have been swept up in that environment at a young age and then some years later sort of fallen away from the faith. And then one I heard went to a Taylor Swift concert and had that same feeling. And then they realized, oh, that was the problem. It was a counterfeit. It was, yeah, I had a feeling in my heart, but that's not, that doesn't mean everything. So our feelings can lie to us. That's not necessary. That feeling that you have is not necessarily the Holy Spirit. But if that feeling tells you something contrary to Scripture, it's definitely not the Holy Spirit. So don't blame God for that wrong feeling that you have. You just, you can't use your feelings as the judge. Now, here's another one. Are you feeling, feeling that your sins are too great for forgiveness? God could never have mercy on me. Your feelings are lying to you. God says, yes, I do have mercy on you. I didn't come for the well I came for the sick. They're the ones that are in need of a physician. So that's another lie. Don't ever feel like your sins are too great. Your sins are not no greater than your Savior. Your Savior overcomes all sin. Um, Pastor Will Whedon made a great statement on issues, etc. this week. To paraphrase it, he said that Satan wants you to think of a sin as no big deal. You know, that's not a big deal. Before you commit it. Okay, but what about after? Oh, now it's quite different. After you commit the sin, oh, there's no way God could love you. Oh, no, there's no way. This is a horrible thing. Only a horrible people, person would do this. See, that's the way. I thought that is a very good illustration, a good way of looking at it feeling like our sins are too great to be forgiven. Okay, I'll wrap up. The point is, don't rely on your feelings. God has given the church the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given this to you objectively. It's not, it's not just a feeling. It's objective because it's his word that has spoken it. God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the waters of baptism, you've been baptized, you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but I was just a baby. I don't even remember it. That's okay. God's word says it. You have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says that in his sermon right there on the day of Pentecost. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those are the words of scripture. The Holy Spirit comes to you working faith where the word is preached. When you hear that message of, oh, this thing is sinful, and you repent in your heart and say, 
God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God hears that. The Holy Spirit comes to you and says, this word of forgiveness is true. You can believe it and you can trust it. You can put all the blue chips on Jesus. Not relying on your own works, but relying entirely on Jesus. How do we have that confidence? Because God, the Holy Spirit, works that confidence in us through his word. He comes to us in the sacrament. We receive the very body and the very blood of Christ. How can these things be? It's obviously a wafer and obviously Manischewitz. Because God's word is, does what, it, what he says, because God is not bound in the same way that we are. And it's objective. That's a real piece of Christ's flesh that you put in your mouth and consume. That's the objectivity. So you don't have to rely on your feelings. I don't know. Did God really forgive me? Yes. Because his word says so. And because it's objective. Sometimes you might feel a sense of forgiveness. Look, I have pulled my car over on the side of the road and wept before because I have received forgiveness and felt it. I'm not saying that your feelings don't have a place. I mean, yeah, sometimes we are excited about this wonderful gift we've received. But what I'm saying is that your feelings are not the judge of that. God's objective word is the judge. And that's the word that the Holy Spirit brought to the hearts of 3,000 people that day who were saved because they heard the gospel and they received it with faith, faith that God worked in them. The miracle of Pentecost continues today. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in all of you, in all believers, the Holy Spirit dwells. He works faith. God works faith in you by showing you truly who God is, your loving, merciful Father in heaven who is loving you and has loved you steadfastly, seeing you not at the pinnacle, the zenith of your upright conduct and moral living. No, 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 no. He saw you way down here at the very bottom. That's when he saw you and said, I die for you and for your sins. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. That's God. And that is what the Holy Spirit reveals. That's the miracle of Pentecost. Is that revelation that Jesus Christ truly died for your sins. And in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.